Welcome to Alexander the Great Podcast, episode one. If you like the podcast, you can write a review on iTunes, and that really helps if you want to. If you don't like the podcast, don't write a review. Don't worry about it. You know, you can skip it. You know, just press pause or delete it. Um, if you want to help economically the podcast, you can find a link in the description of this podcast that will take you to my website, and you can find links to PayPal and Patreon. I hope you like the podcast, guys. Uh, let me know what you think. Of course, I love hearing from you. And also, if by any chance you're Greek and you're listening to this, uh, you can uh, you can listen to it in Greek, where I also have links of it on my website. Uh, see you later. Hope you have fun. Bye bye. Welcome to the Alexander the Great podcast. Together, we're going to follow as best as we can Alexander's life. At the same time, analyzing it so we get a better idea of what's happening. For example, what does it mean to be Greek in 380 BC, where our story is about to begin? What was Greece like during this era? How did Alexander get the Macedonian throne? The answer to the following questions are really cool. And for me, being Greek, I definitely want people to know the real story and not some of the stupid things that are being told, like Alexander is from a a pseudo-Macedonian nation, North Macedonia, and he's not really Greek, you know, I don't know. You have to still feel sorry for them, but it's just not true. Anyway, you know, but let's get going. In today's episode, I want to give you some basic information about Alexander, the stories I like best, and how we know what we know. One of my favorite stories that really stood out to me was that he named Alexandrupoli, a city that he conquered when he was 16 years old. You know, think about what you were doing when you were 16. I don't know about you, but my brain was not had not been formed yet, not in the least. You know, the only thing I could think about were girls, um, nights out with the lads and not failing school. Imagine what kind of mentality this guy had that at the age of 16, he was able to instruct grown men, some of which had twice his age, into a completely successful military battle. And, you know, he didn't just take them out, uh, took them to battle and everyone died. He led the battle from the front line, literally, secured the Macedonian borders, seeing that his dad, Philip, couldn't attend. He was out on business. And, you know, and to put the icing on the cake, he named the city Alexandrupoli, which means City of Alexander. This, this reminds me of the stupid things uh, me and my brothers did. We would wait for my dad to leave for work, wait for about half an hour, make sure he wasn't coming back, and uh, take this crappy little motorbike we fixed up, you know, <laughs> and just take it for a ride. Well, that's what Alexander did to a much larger scale, of course, with an army, taking an army out for a ride. Um, we will get, we will go through the battle when we get to that year. Another story that made a great impression on me, I hope it's true, when Alexander was a little kid, some say around 7 or 12, somewhere around there, Persian embassies arrived in Pella, his hometown. They wanted to ask Philip, Alexander's father, to return three levels who had found sanctuary in Philip's court. Menapis from Egypt, a satrap, Artavazos. Satrap is a provincial governor in the ancient Persian Empire and the leader of the Greek mercenaries Memnon of Rhodes. Philip, or Philippos in Greek, was out besieging Olynthos. So he was out again, you know, you can see a pattern for me here. Daddy's out of town a lot. 
you know, daddy is successful though. And um, Alex saw them waiting and started to chat them up. He was asking questions like, what size is the Persian army right now? You know, how long did it take you to get from Macedonia to Susa? Uh, what were the roads like? Are you in good condition? You know, or were they completely fucked? Uh, the Persians were amazed. How could this kid even come up with questions like this? If he wasn't the kid's son, I'm sure they might have just said, you know, piss off, kid. But, you know, not them, you know, and not to Alexander. All three names we are going to mention again in the future. But let's briefly just see what happens to them. Artavazos will be one of Alexander's satraps in the east. Menapis will be one of Alexander's enemies in Asia Minor. Memnon of Rhodes will be one of Alexander's biggest enemies in his career. These men, 13 years later, will undoubtedly have heard of a crazy Greek coming to the land to fuck them up, you know. But, but they will also have the memory of this first encounter. Yeah, yo, do you remember this kid we spoke to in Greece about 10 years ago? Well, he's the one invading us now, can you believe it? The title Great was not first used by Alexander, or Alexandros in Greek. The Persians uh, called Cyrus and Cambyses, Darius, Xerxes, and so on great. And the first time in literature we find the term Alexander the Great is in a comedy by Plaftos or Plautus, I don't know how you'd say it within, in an English way, uh, to in 200 BC in Rome. Uh, so that was, you know, 100 years after Alexander. We presume, though, that there are other texts that use the phrase. It wasn't the first guy to come up with it. Alexander ruled Macedonia for 13 years. 12 out of the 13 years, he was out of Greece. He left when he was 20 and never came back, alive at least. To take the Macedonian kingship was no easy business. He had to influence the right people. Uh, his mom was from Epirus, so he wasn't thought of as a genuine Macedonian. Before he set off to Persia, he had to make sure things back in Greece were nice and tight, as he did with the tribes to the north of Macedonia, deep in the Balkans. He had to make sure no one was messing around trying to get the others to revolt. He was also proving his worth. If you keep losing battles and the army is not, support is not supporting you, you're out. It doesn't matter who your dad is. That's the way the Macedonian kingship worked. But as we will see, Alexander is not afraid to go to battle. He's also incredibly lucky. He's always fighting from the front line and as a result being very close to losing his life. One of these moments was uh, at the Battle of Granicus, uh, where Clitus the Black cuts the hand of an attacking Persian just before he was about to hit Alexander. Clitus doesn't have a happy ending. He's killed by Alexander when he told him that he, wouldn't, that he would be nothing without his dad. Without a doubt, the coolest fact about Alexander is that he never lost a battle in his entire career. Sounds incredible, but it's true. That's why great men look up to him. Julius Caesar, when he was, when he was just a boy, he named his horse Alexander. At a later time, when he was about at the same age as Alexander died, he cried at his grave because in comparison he had achieved so little. Octavian, when he was in Egypt, he went to see the grave of Alexander. And apart from being arguably Rome's greatest emperor, uh, though he, he wouldn't want to be called that, he was also a clumsy bugger and accidentally broke Alexander's nose. 
<laughs> and after that, they asked him if he, he wanted to see Ptolemy's grave, one of Alexander's successors. And he said, I'm here to see a king, not a corpse. Uh, Pompey, Pompey, Bobius in Greek, Pompey, wanted to be called great. He copied his hair too. But in reality, there's no comparison. Mithridates Epator was, was a giant pain in the ass to the Roman Republic. When he could, he would claim to be a Macedonian descent, and in other moments, he would claim to be of Persian descent. Depends on the day, you see. And now back to Alexander. Let's talk a bit about him. Uh, back uh, when he was, he was lucky enough to have Aristotle as a tutor. Thanks to Aristotle's lecture notes, which we know by the, ta- the titles Nicomachean Ethics, Nicoma- Nicomachia in Greek, Nicomachean sounds a bit weird, and Politics, we can pretty much guess or imagine what Alexander and his gang were taught. Aristotle's Ethics uh, teach us what is meant by eudaimonia, how to find meaning in life, or how to live a better life, and his Politics books teach us the best way to rule a nation. Whether he wanted to or not, Alexander spread Hellenism. No one knows why Alexander did what he did. The only thing we can do is study the earliest sources and come up with our own conclusions. Greece as a nation has always been small, or you could say Greek people have always been a small group of people. It was then and it is now. It doesn't make any sense why so much of ancient history has to do with Greece. Greece in the 4th century BC included cities that were on the coast of Asia Minor, Greece as we know it today, pretty much, and Sicily. That's it. That's as far as it went. With Alexander, in 10 years, it's going to spread to the two-thirds of the known world. So people learned about Greek philosophy, Greek political science, Greek art. I will upload a picture on uh, on my Facebook page and on, on the website where you can see a picture of Buddha, who was heavily influenced by Greek art. I'll have a link in the description. At this moment in time, this had never happened. And correct me if I'm wrong, but never has happened again. Just one man affecting the course of history to such a degree. Think about how many billions of lives have changed, thanks to Alexander. We wouldn't have a New Testament in the Greek language. As a result, Christianity wouldn't have met the widespread belief uh, it had reached widespread reach, I guess you could say, they wouldn't be able to read it if Hellenism didn't reach as far as it did with Alexander. To have a better understanding of Alexander, we have to study Greece in the 4th century, as we said in the beginning. It's not right to compare ourselves with people that lived 2,500 years ago. They would seem crazy, and at the very least, out of this world. Alexander's parents were Olympias, princess of the Molossian tribe in Epirus, and Philip II. Olympias claimed to be a descendant of Neoptolemus, son of Achilles, the Achilles from Homer's Iliad, and Philip is an Argiad, which means he is a descendant of Heracles or Hercules. Uh, this means Alexander has the blood of two superheroes of that time. This is a common phenomenon of Greece at the time. If you want to prove you're Greek, you have to prove that you are the descendant of another famous Greek. But as we will see, the real superhero in Alexander's story is Philip, his father. He made great changes in the Macedonian army, most of which stuck even after Alexander took charge. But before we continue, how do we know that Alexander was a real person? 
There were people that were in Alexander's army that wrote about it, like Aristobulus. Uh, he served as a mechanic, and at the same time he had the role of architect. Maybe he was Philip's friend, but we're not completely sure. We are sure that he was one of Alexander's biggest fanboys. We say this because with every story, he always tells it in a way that makes Alex come out in the most favoured way possible. For example, after the Clitus incident, Clitus said that he would be nothing without his father, as we said before. Alexander got quite angry and stabbed him. Aristobulus says it's Clitus's fault because you can't say shit like that to the king and expect to get away with it. All sources say Alexander was a heavy drinker. Aristobulus says that he was mostly a social drinker, only when he's chilling with the lads. Ptolemy or Ptolemaeus in Greek, founder of the Ptolemaic dynasty, king of Egypt after Alexander's death, childhood friend of Alexander and later personal bodyguard later in life. Arian says that he used Ptolemy as a primary source because he was someone in a position of power and people of power have more to lose if they lie, so he must be telling the truth. To us today that doesn't make any sense. We're used to our modern politicians lie about everything just so they can get power, but anyway, he wrote about the campaign. Nearchos from Crete, he was, a, he was from a village called Lato, today it's called Kritsa, that's 10 kilometers away from my village, Elunda, Shara Elunda. Uh, Nearchos was raised in Macedonia alongside uh, Alexander. He later followed him to Persia. For a period of time, he was given the role of satrap and later became leader of the naval fleet. We have Callisthenes, Aristotle's nephew. He was the formal Alexandrian historiographer employed by Alexander, which basically means he follows a campaign to Persia and writes down everything that is happening. So we have Alexander hire a guy just to follow him around and keep a journal of everything that's happening. That shows us that he knows his writing history and he wants to make sure that the next generations will have the correct information. Onisikritos, this guy was part of Nerchos' Nerchos's uh, fleet, one of the worst <laughs> sources, completely unreliable. He was telling everyone that he commanded a ship, but Arian rats him out and tells us that he was actually a steersman. Uh, and we have Klitarchos, this guy didn't take part in the campaign, but he used the works of Callisthenes, Onisikritos and Nerchos to write his own book, Peri Alexandro Historia, Alexandra's Histories. All of the above works have been lost, but they play an important role for future historians, the works of which we have today and are able to study. These are Theodoros from Sicily. He lived around, uh, he wrote around 36 to 30 BC, the oldest source we have. Curtius Rufus, 1st century AD, the only surviving work we have of this guy, we don't know much about him, we know he's Roman and probably a redhead based on his surname Rufus. From the 10 books he has written, we have 8. Plutarch or Plutarchos, with uh, his parallel lives, he lived from 50 to 127 AD. He wrote a story about a famous Greek and compared it to a famous Roman. He compares Alexander to Julius Caesar. Justin writes, uh, he writes an epitome of Pompeius Trogus's work. He describes the history of the Macedonian uh, monarchy, starting from Philip. He writes in the 2nd century AD. Last but certainly not least, we have Arian. 
Born around 80 AD and died around 160 AD, he's considered the only complete source regarding Alexander's campaign that we still have left. And apart from literally works, uh, literary, literary works, we have coins that were made by Alexander. Around 20 million in total, they scattered all through the Persian Empire. A few have been lost, but some remain. You can still buy them from eBay if you choose. And we also have text from the eastern part of the world. The Babylonians wrote about Alexander's victory at Ravgamila on an astronomical calendar of that time. You know, this is an incredible find. It allows us to see what people from the east wrote about Alexander. People that we know for certain are not Greek. And as a result, we'll have a slightly more objective opinion. Slightly because they definitely don't like the Persians. They were their conquerors. Uh, it gives us a slightly different list of events. From Curtius, Diodorus, Plutarch, Plutarchos and Arian. Plutarchos, Plutarch, I don't know, what do you prefer? Let me know. Uh, we find that Darius, Darius's army got, you know, fucked up. He left first, leaving his army in the battlefield. The men, having seen this, feel rather shitty, as you would. They lose courage, and this is the reason they lost the battle. The Babylonians say that the army left first, and then Darius. Uh, the result is the same, but it leaves you with a different aftertaste, knowing that Darius wasn't such a coward that he would leave his men in the battlefield, but stayed until they gave up on him. The Persians also wrote about a godless Alexander that killed three priests and, burn, three priests and burned the sacred book of Zoroastrianism, Avesta, some say the Persians are slightly overreacting. The Avesta possibly didn't even exist at this point in history. The first recording of a written Avesta was created at 220 AD. They just want to put down a boy, you know, uh, quite petty, but the defeat was humiliating, so they can be excused. Uh, so now, knowing that, you have every right. If you ever hear someone say that we don't know Alexander existed, you can just use any of the arguments I presented and then just slap them around the face so they don't stop spreading nonsense. Uh, let's have a quick story of the history of Greece until the birth of Philip, which we will talk about in the next episode. The, f the first tribes came to Greece around 2000 BC. Most of the dates, all of the dates, are going to be in BC, unless otherwise stated. For future episodes, this is as well. Uh, 1600 BC is when the Mycenaean civilization began. It's named from the place that the first archaeological finds are located, in Mycenae of Argolida. In 1450, the Mycenaeans destroy the Minoan palace and start using the Linear B syllabic script. And in the next few centuries, slowly conquer more parts of mainland Greece and Crete. In 1194 is the beginning of the Trojan War. 1184, 10 years later, the Trojan War ends. In the 1100, uh, the, a Greek tribe known as the Dorians begin their southern invasion, known as the Dorian Invasion. This invasion that didn't happen in a single night saw many Greeks from the Peloponnese and other places spread to random Greek islands and parts of Asia Minor. They were doing this to avoid the Dorians, and the, Mycen the Mycenaean civilization as a result is starting to decline. Those who can't leave end up being slaves to the Dorians, the 
helots, elots in Greek, the elotes. Uh, 850, the Greeks adopt the Phoenician alphabet, brought in by Cadmus, founder of Thebes. Thebes, did I say Thebes? Thebes. 800, uh, around 800, Homer or Homers, seeing that we're pretty sure it wasn't written by just one person, and it wasn't really written, it was spoken. Uh, anyway, written in brackets, in what do you call them, air quotes, uh, writes the heroic epics Iliad and the Odyssey. Uh, 776, the first ever Olympic Games take place in honor of Zeus in the Peloponnesian city of Olybia. 743, we have the first Messinian war between Messini and Sparti, Sparta. Uh, this lasted 20 years. Uh, in 650, we have aristocrats commanding most city-states. The leadership was put into question either by lower-ranking aristocrats or rich businessmen. These people were known as tyrants. 620, 625, we have the birth of the first ever philosopher, Thales of Milesios. Uh, he was later named the first of the seven sages of Greece. His most famous quote was, Know thyself, written at the entrance of Delphi. 621, we have Draco come up with a set of rules, known as the Draconian Laws. Uh, most of the crimes were simply punishable by death, makes things so much easier, you know. Uh, 600 is the first time Greeks are using coins. They adopt this by the neighboring country called Lydia. Uh, in 508 is the year Athens starts experimenting with this funky new movement called democracy, Demokratia in Greek. 495, we have the death of Pythagoras. And 490, the Persians invade Greece. Things didn't go to plan. We ended up fucking them up royally. Uh, this is where the Battle of Marathon takes place. 480, the Persians decide to invade Greece for a second time. If at first you don't succeed, you know, try again. Uh, but the same thing as the first time happened, they just couldn't handle the Greeks. This is where the Battle of uh, Thermopylae, the naval battle of Salamis, and finally the Battle of Plataeus took place. The Persians finally admit to themselves that they are unable to cope with the Greeks and get the fuck out of the way. Uh, in 464, we have a strong earthquake that struck Sparta. The Helots decide to revolt. In 431, the Parthenon was, has finished being built in Athens by Pericles. Uh, it's a kind of uh, interesting story where they found the money about this. You know, this is a strange thing. But 431, there's a massive war between Athens and Sparta known as the Peloponnesian War. Sparta comes out on top after 30 years of battle, which was uh, the, the battles ended at 404. And um, the Sparta sets up a dummy government in Athens known as the 30 Tyrants. 403, democracy is set back up. Spartans knew war. They weren't very good at maintaining they followed the law, but that's only the Spartans. The Spartans put the law above everything. In 399, we have the death sentence of Socrates. He's charged with corrupting the youth, which, what does that even mean? You know, it probably means he was fucking them, but we're not really sure. A lot of people are saying this. A lot of teachers are saying that Socrates has, <laughs> that's what it means, probably. Uh, corrupting the youth. What the fuck does corrupting the youth mean? Uh, but we're not sure what he did. And the second, um, what do you call it? The second thing he's charged with was that he didn't believe in the gods. You know, it's not quite the democracy we're used to. 
387, the founding of the Academy by Plato, in Greek, Platonas. And in 383, we have the birth of Philip, Philippos, son of Amidas III and Evridiki. From here is where our story is about to begin on the next episode. But let's quickly look at the term Greek or Elin or Elinas as we say in Greek. You know, where did it come from? From Hesiod, who wrote at the same time Homer did, we see that Elin was a son of Defkalionas and Pyrrha. Uh, Elin had three sons, Aeolos, Doros and Xanthos. Xanthos has two boys, Achios and Ionas. From here, we have the names of, a, of the four main Greek tribes, Achaeans, Dorians, Aeolians and Ionians. Macedonas, which is where we get Ma- Macedonians from, or Macedonians, Macedonians, uh, was the son of the daughter of the Fkalionas, Ethia. Ethia and Zeus got together, got busy, and Macedonas was born. From Homer, we see that he refers to Elines as a single tribe. They had a leader known, uh, they had a leader called Achilles. You know, we've, pro- we've probably heard of them, of him. Uh, this tribe was also known as the Myrmidones. Etymologically, there is not just one agreed opinion on where it comes from. Some say it's from a tribe in Epirus, Selus, Elus. Uh, they were the priests of the Voni, one of the oldest oracles of ancient Greece. Aristotle tells us that they first were called Greki, Greki, which kind of sounds like Greek, and were later called Elines. Others say Elin comes from, uh, from the prefix El, which means mountain person, Others say elops, that means speechless. You know, you can take your pick pretty much, wherever you prefer. We used romnios for a long time while the Roman Empire was being christianized. We did this because elinas meant you were a pagan. Anyway, that for now. See you later.